Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Let's get our Bibles out and open them to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Today we're concluding our series uh, that we've been doing for a bit, is uh, When Things Go Wrong. And today we're going to address the problem with pride. Pride is a problem. How many recognize that? If you don't, you have a problem. Okay, I'm just going to be real. <laughs> so, but but um, this message, honestly, is a little bit of a uh, remake of one that I spoke to our youth, our, our REACH youth, um, on uh, January 2nd of this year, which was our first gathering back together at REACH. And, uh, and I said that this then, and I'm going to say it again. This has the potential to be one of the most important and helpful messages that you will ever hear in your life when it comes to how you live and how life is going to go better for you, not just with God, but with others, believe me. So this is a big, big deal, and it's, uh, it's an expanded version of that. And so those of you who are young people who are here or leaders in youth, this may sound a little bit familiar at times, but I felt like even while I was speaking that message that it was, it was incredibly important, and at some point the whole church needed to hear uh, a rendition of this. And here's why it's so important, because pride undoubtedly is the greatest of all sins. And there's, to me, there's no doubt. In fact, I believe at the root of every sin is pride. Every single sin that's ever committed. And, you know, you, it's kind of like the guy in my big fat Greek wedding. Everything, he could fix everything with Windex. Well, I'm telling you, everything can find its root in pride. And, and uh, it may take a little bit of an explanation to get there, but, but I really believe it's at the root. You think about things, you know, adultery, lying, uh, fornication, stealing, cheating, lusting, even things like fear and anxiety. Now, not all fear and anxiety, but uh, I'm saying because some anxiety is, comes from other places, but there's forms of anxiety that are rooted in pride. Because it really becomes an I-focus, a me-focus kind of a thing. You're worried about self, and then pride is at the root of that. And it's very insidious in the way that that works in our lives. So, so I just want to get the, the, the plate set, so to speak, or the table set for us as we get into this. So our text today is, um, we've been going through 1 Samuel, and we're jumping from chapter 9 that we covered last week, and we're going forward into uh, the 13th chapter today. But we're, we're looking now, we've, we have this leadership void that's been left by, by uh, Samuel's sons who weren't following the Lord. So the people ask for a king. God agrees with their desire for a king, um, not wholeheartedly, mind you, but is, uh, you know, saying, okay, give them what they want. And I would say to you that when we get what we want instead of what God wants, we often get what we deserve. You know what I'm saying? And uh, not in a good way. So, so, so through all of that, Saul is made king. And so King Saul started out great. He really did. You, you, you think about, you know, if you read the early part of his uh, adventures, and that's the part in chapter 10 through, through where we're going to be today. But he, he started out with a great attitude, and he seemed humble, at least at the onset. When he was informed that he was going to be the king by Samuel, he said, well, why me? He says, I'm from the smallest tribe. I, my family's the, the least in all. I'm, we're the least. Why would you choose? Why, why me? And that seems humble, doesn't it? And then later on, he gets anointed, he gets filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is really easy. He begins to prophesy, it's great. And, and he didn't go around telling others, hey, guys, I'm the king. 
I'm going to be the king, right? He didn't go around doing that. In fact, uh, when, it, when they got ready to do the, cor- I guess you'd call it the coronation, but when he was going to be proclaimed king, and they were getting ready to have this moment where they're going to blow the ram's horns and all this stuff, and uh, they're all looking for him, and they found him, he was hiding. He was literally hiding among the baggage of people that had come to this ceremony because he didn't want to push himself forward. You're thinking, wow, that seems like a very humble attitude. And then, and then when others, later on, once he's made king, and then others began to complain about him, uh, he kept silent about their complaints. And even further, when those people who, who heard those complaints said, hey, let's go kill him for complaining, and he said, no, no, what are you talking about? No, we're not going to put people to death for complaining, and he defended those who complained about him. So how many think all that sounds great so far in the life of Saul? And you think, wow, this guy's all right. But we come to a time, and uh, there's a big gap between when he is uh, coronated as king. There's many battles that go on. And, but we're coming to a time now his, his son is, he's got a son. He's full grown. So I don't know. He reigned for 40 something years, 42 years, I believe. And this is probably at least 20 years into him being the king. So I don't want, it, it's sort of like as you're going through the Bible, you hear all this stuff and then all of a sudden, man, things go downhill fast. It's <laughs> just pointing out all the problems. But I want to be sure that we all understand that Saul did a lot of great stuff. He won many, many battles. He was very victorious in battles. He led Israel well. But then over time, something, something that was down there deep inside began to take hold in his life. And that's what we come to in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to start in the middle of verse 7 uh, and just follow along in your Bible. We'll read just a few verses here. Um, it says, Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited for seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. Just to give you some quick background. There was this time when the Philistines came to attack and if you read the previous verses, you'll see that there, was, there were all these chariots and they said, it says there were soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. It was like a huge army coming against Saul and so the, the Israelites were quaking, they were fearful, they were worried and, uh, and so that began... Uh, to be a problem for Saul because now the men are beginning to scatter. And so when things go wrong, it, there's a temptation to take things um, into our own hands, don't we? Do you get what I'm saying? We start to take things into our own hands instead of trusting God all the way. So verse 9 now, he, says, so bring me, he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Now that doesn't sound so bad, does it? Except he wasn't the one who was supposed to be offering offerings. And wouldn't you just know it? Wouldn't you know it? But then verse 10, just as he finished making the offering, guess who arrives? <laughs> you know, if you've just been a little more patient. And, and isn't, doesn't that just speak to how sometimes we just, I think that that's an outcropping of pride as well, is that we think we take things into our own hands rather than just trusting God, even when things don't look quite like we wish they did. So, so he just finished making the offering. Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, well, when I saw that the men were scattering, and you did not come at the set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. So again, even though he got off to a good start, now he's, his, you, we're going to begin to see things where, and even though he'd won battles, now we're going to see things in Saul's life that are going to, going to be uh, evidence of the pride that has crept into his life. And uh, it's come, and it's really going to end up destroying him at the end. And so we're going to go through all that today. Are you ready? 
Let's start with prayer then. God, we just commit this time to you. Um, Lord, we open up our hearts for we always want the word of God to speak to us, move upon us, and help us to become uh, what you want us to become, Lord God, that, that there would be change in our hearts and lives. So, so speak to us, each one, through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. So uh, don't answer this question, but I'm just going to ask you to think about this. So what is the most embarrassing moment of your life? Right? Okay. You're thinking about it now. A lot of times you don't want to talk that out loud because they're so embarrassing, right? You know, it's hard to talk about those things, isn't it? You know what I'm saying, right? And, uh, and so I have a bunch to tell. If you ever want to hear some really embarrassing stories, I got, uh, I just seem to, uh, uh, I don't know, walked into a bunch of stuff, but... But let me tell you about one that, that may not seem all that bad, but it was, it was pretty rough for me. It was back in uh, 1976. I had just graduated from high school. I was 18 years old. I, uh, for the summer, I got a job at a Christian camp owned by our denomination, Foursquare. Right on, it was so beautiful place, right above Portland, up on the Columbia River Gorge, right by Crown Point, if you're familiar with that area. Beautiful, beautiful location. And, uh, but I got to spend the whole summer there. They paid me a whole $80 a month. Right, and and I got to mow lawns, and I got to kill gophers, and uh, uh, you know, fun, a lot of fun stuff. <clears throat> so anyway, <laughs> they had to be, they had to go. Actually, it was moles, and they were making a mess of the lawn. So, so anyway, we did we did all this work, and but then there were five weeks of summer camp for our denomination back then, and uh, the first two weeks were where the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders would come. And so even though I was working on the grounds crew and doing all that, I was also the lifeguard. But even though I did that, I was also, um, uh, I was asked if I would, uh, on the second week of the kids camp, I was asked to lead a team, uh, like a sport, it was sort of like Olympics, and we had four teams. They asked me to lead a team to be in charge of that group of people, and we're going to have all these games, and then there'd be prizes at the end, victory, and somebody gets the trophy and all that. And, and in my 18-year-old mind, and, and uh, God help me, but in my mind, I thought to myself as they asked me, because they didn't ask any other people my age, it was all ad uh, older adults that were asked to lead these teams, and they asked me, I was the youngest guy that I, I as far as I knew, had been asked to do something like this. And so it, it, way back in my mind, though I wouldn't have voiced this then, that would have been absurd, but I'll tell you the truth, in my brain I was thinking, it's about time somebody noticed the leadership qualities in my life. No, honestly, I wouldn't have said that out loud, but on, I know what I was thinking when they did that. I was, there was that pride. You could, have you ever been in a situation like that? You know what I'm saying? You're kind of like, yeah, they finally get it, right? I'm obviously the best choice for this. So the first day, we are sent to a room to go together as our team. And, and I looked around the room and I thought, did they on purpose pick all the the rough kids to put them in, I don't know, it was a really rough group, I mean, there was these pretty rough kids, so I'm in there, and uh, the first order of business was to choose a name for our team, and then secondarily, to create a flag for our team, so that we could march into battle for the next five days, and do great stuff, so I, we get down there, and so I'm trying to be very diplomatic, and democratic, and all that, and I said, okay, let's have some ideas for names, and that's First of all, that's the worst thing you can do in leadership is just open the floor to everything. You've know, you got you to hopefully steer things. So I had no idea what I was doing. And so all these weird names started coming, and I hated them all, to be honest with you. And, uh, 
And so I was kind of getting frustrated with how, how random these names were. And a lot of kids were just joking. And didn't, I really didn't have control of the crowd. And there's, there's these adult counselors, way older than me, that they aren't even stepping in to help me or anything, right? So there I am. And so finally, I couldn't stand it anymore because this was, was taking way too long. And I said, okay, okay, okay. There's, that's a lot of great names, but I've got an idea. Let's just, let me just throw this out. And here comes the pride part. Because I thought if my name was attached to it, see, it's hard to even tell this story. It was 18. It was so long ago. And even to tell this story today, I'm embarrassed because I feel like a, uh, what a, you know, I don't even know a word right now. A dweeb. It's the first word that came to my head. Anyway, so I said, here's a name for the, our team. Sal's Spiritual Sluggers. Immediately, derision broke out mocking and all that, but I stood my ground. And that's, I figured that's who we're going to be. We're going to be Sal's spiritual sluggers. So, so, you know, and all this, this talk is going on. I'm just trying to ignore it. And then we had this incredible, one of the counselors, uh, probably in his 40s or maybe 50, a great guy, super neat guy, but he was extremely artistic, and he was going to make our flag for us. So he just starts working on the flag. And what he does is he, he works on the flag, and I wasn't really paying attention. We're working on some other details. And then he reveals the flag to the whole group. And do you know what he did? He put a giant slug on the flag. Do you want, do you want to know how much wind went out of my sails at that moment? And everybody lifted up a cheer. Yeah! So from then on, we were known as the slugs. This is going downhill fast. Can you see what I'm saying? And I just want to tell you that, that our team was just, they just, there was never any team spirit. They were just all over the place. We lost everything we tried to do. I don't think we won one event anywhere. And uh, we finished a solid fourth out of four teams uh, that week and did just, it was horrible. All that to say, see, and I'm, I'm, even as I'm telling this story, I'm saying, man, I'm just embarrassed to even tell this story. And it happened so long ago. But here's what I think, and see if you think this is true for you too. I think humiliation uh, from like a source like something like that and embarrassing moments can be a good teacher, right? I learned some incredible lessons that week. I really did. And, uh, and what it is, what you learn is what not to do. <laughs> you know, just being honest. I learned, wow, everything I was thinking at that moment, including my internal thoughts of how great it was that they picked me. And nobody didn't want to be a leader more than me at the end of that week, let me tell you right now. So I got, I got that out of my system quick. And so the, the worst response you can have in a situation when something like that happens is that you could begin to make excuses or become defensive. Because these things are what, where, where pride is really finding its, its root, if you will. And so, so I want to talk for a few minutes about the root of pride and the fruit of pride. We're going to start with the root of pride here, which I think has already been on the screen, hasn't it? <laughs> Don't get ahead of me, bro. Okay. So, all right, good. So, um, so here, here's this idea. What's the root of pride? We have uh, excuse-making and defensiveness. The excuse for Saul was this. The men are scattering. The Philistines are assembling. Well, I mean, those are just excuses because God sent you to do a work. Don't worry about it. You got this. And then the defensiveness is he blames Samuel. He says, well, it's your fault. You didn't come on time. I felt compelled to give the offering because it's your fault. I mean, this is, this is classic. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And uh, God says to Adam, what have you done? What does he do? 
It's the woman. And then God says, what have you done? It's the serpent. And not only does Adam blame Eve, but he goes, it's the woman you gave me. Right? So as soon as you get blamed for something, if immediately you're looking for someone else to blame, including God, right? You're, you're being defensive. So, so that's what happens with Saul. He's so full of this self-importance. He takes it upon himself to do something he's not supposed to do, what a priest is supposed to do. And, and, and Samuel was supposed to do and offer that sacrifice. Pick it up if, with me in uh, verse 13 now. 1 Samuel 13, 13, if you still have it there. Uh, You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command of the Lord uh, your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. This seems so harsh and over the top, doesn't it? Like, wow. That, w- that seems like not a really big deal to just offer an offering, a little burnt offering. How bad could that be? And for that, he loses the kingdom. For that, his, his legacy is gone forever. And you go, how about a second chance, God? Come on, like this doesn't seem quite like... How about a warning? I'll just take a warning this time. We'll try to do better. You know what I'm saying? And, and you think, God, are you overreacting here? But, but stay with me in this because there's something going on here. That, that, that we'll get to. So, so the root of pride is found in the fact that Saul began to think more highly of himself than he ought to, which is exactly what the Bible says in Romans 12, 3. Don't think or do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober judgment. Just, in other words, just, just think about, man, uh, you know, let's be realistic, in other words. In fact, the NLT uses it this way. Be honest in the evaluation of yourselves. Just be honest. And, and I think that's just a, huge, and a great way to say it. So let's stop and think just right now even about our own lives, okay? Let me just ask you a question. What issue in your life is bothering you the most right now? What are you facing? And then analyze it and ask, is there or where is there pride involved in that? Why, in other words, why does that thing bother you? Something to think about, Okay. Hopefully, God's helping us to connect these dots. Are, are we, let me ask you, are you worried about how other people see you? Are you worried about maybe your reputation? Are, listen, are we struggling in some area of sin that we think maybe we can just get away with it? Because we're just that sharp. I can hide this really well. Did you hear the word I at the beginning of that sentence? I can get away with this. Now, we would never say that out loud, of course. No, we would never say that. But we're still dealing with these areas of sin, and we think, I got a handle on this. I can do this. I can get away with this. We would never say those things out loud, but it really is. So an honest self-evaluation can be great, and it can help us a lot. But here's the problem with, with just stopping there. Because the truth of the matter is, we can't trust ourselves. We can't. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. So there you go for this honest evaluation of yourself, as the Scripture tells us. But at the same time, if the root of this thing hasn't been dealt with in our hearts, guess what? We're still deceiving ourselves. 
So even as we try to evaluate, so the only way, the only way to identify the root of pride is to allow God access to every part of us. That's why we pray prayers like we do. Lord, just, just come into, you know, access every part of my heart. We've, we've talked about in baptism how uh, the word bapto, which is where the, we get the word baptism, it would be used of a sunken ship. We've talked about this before. And a sunken ship, uh, every, every crevice, every room of that sunken ship was filled with water water okay so we ask for a baptism of the lord in the same way we're asking for the lord to come into every crevice and and closet if you will of our heart it, it, a lot of times we say jesus come into my heart and we go you know all oh, this is yours lord and then the lord starts walking towards this door over here you go, oh no lord no 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 <laughs> there this is my place so I, I kept a little place for myself you can have everything lord and he says oh, I, I need access Right? I need access. And until we're ready to give God access to everything, we're not dealing with the worst thing of all, which is pride. And that's where, that's that place where the fruit really begins to manifest. So now we're going to look at the fruit of pride. You can follow along in your Bible, but we'll have it on the screen. First Samuel 15, skip ahead a couple of chapters. Again, some instructions come to Saul. In verse 3, now go attack the Amalekites, totally destroy all that belongs to them. Skip to verse 7, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur and near the eastern border of Egypt. Big battle. Verse 9, but Saul, listen, when, when the word but gets it, I've always wanted to do a sermon series on the big butts of the Bible, but it doesn't sound right. just doesn't sound right. So, <laughs> whenever you see the word but before you know, a sentence, that means there's a problem. And that's what we're dealing with. He says, but Saul and the army spared Agag. Remember, verse 3, destroy them all. All right? I don't have time to go into why God needed them to all be destroyed. Just trust me that this was a godly thing because they had been very, very awful to the, uh, to the Israelites when they'd come out of Egypt and attacked the old people. And the, I'm telling you anyway. But anyway, you get the idea. They had been really rough, and so, so God said they're going to have to go. Um, but they spared Agag, and listen, and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat ca uh, calves and the lambs, everything that was good, these they were, here's a big, big word, what is unwilling. When unwilling gets it in our lives, that's, not a good, that's, that's like that's the door, see? We're unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And this is God speaking now. He says, I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. So we, we, again, we see Saul deciding for himself what to do instead of trusting God and obeying God completely. No good. And, and it all starts back in chapter 13 with something that seems so religious. He seems like a good guy. Hey guys, I'm going to offer a burnt offering to God. I'm going to do some worship stuff. And on the exterior, you think, well, that's good. The king ought to do stuff like that. Yay for King Saul. But now it's getting worse. He's, and, and look at this. Look, the disobedience that, that was rooted in pride is now beginning to bear fruit in his life. And we pile on even more disobedience and more selfishness. Verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, listen to this, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. Come on. Do you see what's happened to this guy? 
The guy that used to hide in the baggage, didn't want to be known, who was being humble at the beginning, suddenly he, you know, a couple years, a couple victories have passed, he's starting to think, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I did that stuff. And now he's thinking, they ought to honor me. And he starts to say, what? Setting up a monument in his own honor. And he's turned and gone down to Gilgal, going back to the place where the first disobedience happened. Did you notice that? And then Samuel reached him. Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Ha, 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 ha. And so Samuel says, what, what's that bleeding of sheep I hear? What's this lowing of cattle I hear? Saul answered, well, you know, this, watch, watch what's happening. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle. Now, is that what it said earlier? Look back. What did it say? It said that he was not willing to, to destroy them, that he and the army spared them. So, so he's, he, he's making these excuses again. They spared the best, of the, the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. We totally did what we were supposed to do. Totally. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied, probably thinking it's going to be good. Samuel said, though, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, he says. I, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me, completely destroyed the Amalekites, and brought back Agag the king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle and the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. I have good motives for this. We're going to do a sacrifice, a really big sacrifice, Samuel. So here we go again, the excuses. Oh, I, I did it. I, I did what I was supposed to do. I went on the mission and completely destroyed them. And then the defensiveness. The soldiers. It was the soldiers that took the sheep and the cattle. Verse 22, Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? It, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance, here we go, there's pride, right? And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. So you're, you're talking about witchcraft, you're talking about idolatry, you're talking about divination, you're talking about all kinds of things that sound so evil, and, and God is connecting the dots and saying, this is what pride is like. He says, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So here's, here's the point I want to make. God can put up with all kinds of sin in my life and your life. He really can. And He is. How much sin can He forgive? He can forgive all sin. He will, the Bible says He will cleanse us from all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you. Aren't you glad for forgiveness of sins? That there's, listen, I don't care if you repeat the same sin over and 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 over the same time on the same day. Don't, don't you know that Jesus, I just read this in my devotions this morning, that Jesus told uh, Peter, when Peter asked him, how much should I forgive somebody? If they sin against me seven times, should I forgive? He said, no, 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 right? It's, it, and depending on the translation, it's either 70 times seven or, or a 77. I don't care. That's probably more than someone could offend you in one day, don't you think? 
Okay? So, so if Jesus expects you and me to forgive someone at a minimum of 77 times a day, do you think you can outdo God and his expectation of you? Absolutely not. So don't tell me there isn't any sin that God can't deal with. He can take care of all the sin in our lives. But when it comes to pride, God cannot help a person who exhibits this attitude. I'm not saying he can't forgive. I'm saying he can't help. You see, you see the, the next king for Israel will be David, right? We all heard about David. David, what a wonderful guy, you know. We get that early picture of him playing his harp out there and... and killing Goliath and, and doing all this great stuff for God. David is just this model guy. He comes along and he has a great attitude. He's humble and he's anointed king but spends the early part of his life uh, running from Saul who's trying to kill him because he realizes that you know, Saul's going to kill him. And so, so this is great. So, David's off to a great start. Finally, Saul dies. David becomes a king. He builds a, a palace as God instructs him to. And one day, you know the story, he's up on the roof. He looks and sees Bathsheba over there. And like, she's fine. She's a good looking woman. And he thinks to himself, man, oh man. Not as if this guy didn't already have a ton of wives. Okay? He's up on that roof and he looks down. And so lust overtakes King David. And the time when kings go to war, this man's up on the roof looking down at a woman who's bathing on her roof. Now, I don't know if, if she was, knew that the king could see her and she was putting on a little show. I don't know. But, but let's just talk about David for a minute. So David sees her and thinks, wow, I would love to be with her. So he calls, has someone go down to her house, invite her up to the palace. No doubt, wines her and dines her. The details are a little sketchy, but next thing you know, they're sleeping together. Okay? And he thinks, that was cool, that was great, nobody knows, I'm good. Well, then in about a month, he gets a little call from Bathsheba. Hey, David, I'm late. So, so he goes, wow, what am I going to do? So he hatches a, a plan. I know what I'll do, he says. I'll get her husband, Uriah, to come back from, Uriah's out at war. He's doing fighting with the, the armies of Israel. He's out at war, so he brings Uriah back. He says, oh, Uriah, so good to see you. Tell me, how are things on the front? Great, good to hear it. Hey, why don't you just go home and have a good time? Right? Assuming that Uriah is going to go home and sleep with his wife, and then in eight months or so, eh, a little premature maybe, but yeah, we'll get away with it. But Uriah is such a noble guy, such a godly man, that he goes down and he sleeps out in the courtyard and doesn't go in to be with his wife. Now, why does he do that? He says, how can I go and enjoy that moment with my wife when the armies of Israel are intense and they're sleeping out in the fields? I can't do it. So David is like, oh, my goodness, dude. So David hatches another plan. He says, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Come on, Uriah, I want to have another get-together with you. Let's, let's eat and drink together. And so he gets a ton of wine and the food, and he starts plying this guy with so much wine that Uriah becomes drunk Hey, buddy, all right, yeah. Hey, have a good time at home tonight. We'll see you later. Sends him out the door. Uriah goes down, but even in a drunken state, he has too much uh, you know, nobility within him and too much honor within him to do anything wrong. And so sure enough, Uriah goes down and sleeps in the courtyard again. David hears of it. He goes, what am I going to do? David writes a letter to his general, Joab. He says, Joab... Take Uriah and put him at the very front of the battle and then call forth a signal so that everybody knows, withdraw for him, from him that he die. Seals the letter with the king's seal 
Hand, listen, this is so wicked. Hands this letter to Uriah. Says, will you take this to Joab for me when you go back to the battle? Uriah agrees, takes it. With honorable man, doesn't open the letter, doesn't know what he's carrying, doesn't know he's carrying his own death sentence. Takes it to Joab. Joab fulfills the orders of the king. They withdraw. Uriah is killed. Bathsheba goes into a short time of grieving. David says, come on up and be my wife. Seven months later, or less, there's a baby born. Right? And David thinks, whew, got away with it. You're talking about lust, adultery, conspiring to murder, drunkenness. You're talking about cover-up like nobody's business. You're talking about the wickedness, and you think, what a wicked, wicked man. Horrible, right? You with me? You have Saul, the first king, worships God by sacrificing a few sheep, and you have David over here doing all that stuff I just said. And God's sitting here and going, that David, <laughs> he's a man after my own heart. He's a man after my own heart. And we're all sitting here from the outside looking in and going, what? How can that be? Because listen, can I tell you something today? There's no sin that you or I could commit, nothing you and I could do that could separate us from that love of God. There's no way. And, and, and in all of that, what, how David responded, this is what makes him a man after God's own heart. Because when the prophet comes to him and says, you're the one who did all these things, David immediately falls to his knees, begins to cry out to God. Psalm 51 is the answer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. To restore a new spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I repent. I'm Cleanse me, God. Cleanse me. I repent. I'm wrong. I did the thing you said I did. Yes, I'm wrong. And Saul's still over here going, it was the others. It was somebody else's fault. I'm okay. Look, there's even a monument to my honor right here. You catching the difference between these two guys? This, this sin doesn't look bad to us. But because pride is involved, God is like, I want to reach out to you, Saul, but I can't do anything for you because you have cut yourself off from me with your pride. You've cut yourself off from me helping you as I want to. Whereas David's over here, I have blown it. I'm in abject ashes. I fall before you, God. And God's saying, I can work with somebody like that. Now, which kind of attitude do you think we ought to have with God? How do you think we ought to respond at times when God reveals to us, hey, you've blown it here, you've done this, you've done that. Because, listen, here's the deal. Pride, by, it, it won't allow us to examine ourselves as we ought to because our hearts are deceiving us. And it won't let us see our sin and repent of it. So what we've got to start with is just saying, God, get rid of pride in my life right now. And it's insidious. It's tricky. It's sneaky, sneaky, sneaky pride is. We almost, almost always will talk ourselves out of the fact that we even have it. We make excuses all the time. But here's what God says. He, say, he, he says in Proverbs 8.13, I hate pride and arrogance. That's strong for God. And then he says he detests, listen, the Proverbs 16.5, he detests the proud of heart. Detests them. James 4.6, quoting an Old Testament scripture, says, God opposes the proud. You catching this? He opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. So this, this, the question isn't the awful sins you and I have committed. God can handle that. That's not a big deal for God. But if we're in this pride camp over here, God can't help us. Because we've created a barrier that keeps God from coming through and helping us. Are you catching this today? Is this making sense? 
So because of his pride, Saul ultimately will lose his kingship. He will try to murder David. He, be, he ends up possessed by a demon. This is serious. You can read it all in the Bible. He begins to practice witchcraft and ultimately commits suicide. That's, that's where pride ended up leading him. So as I finish today, worship team, come on back up. I want to give you the antidote to pride in a rather like a workshop fashion because we're going to work on this ourselves in just a moment here. But here's the antidote to pride. It's humility. And we've already discussed that, but there's only one cure for this cancer of pride, and that's, and that's humility. It's the only antidote. Humility is this total dependency on God that says, I'm wrong, I confess, I admit, I need God. I need God's help. And it's trusting God to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. It's trusting Him to use you in the right way at the right time. Humility is patiently. Listen, I'm adding that word patiently because that's one of the problems that, that pride exhibited through Saul is that he wasn't patient. He thought, I need to step in here. I need to step in. So it's patiently waiting on the Lord with a, a spirit of expectant faith. Jake does just a great job playing this guitar, right? You all agree? It's excellent. Can you imagine if a guitar could speak, though? What if that guitar could speak and say, just sit, let's say it's sitting here in a stand all by itself, and it just says, it could talk, and it would just say, don't I make beautiful music? Do you, can you just hear those tones and overtones and the richness of sound that comes from the beautiful body that I have? Woo! Can you, can you see what I'm saying with this? Can you imagine if any of these instruments, apart from, from the musician, were to, to start speaking and brag about their ability to play good rhythm or lay down a great groove on the bass or hit those high notes on the key? You know what I'm saying? And we say, well, that's, that's absurd. That's an absurd example because obviously a guitar requires someone to use it before it can do any good. Hmm. We're instruments in the Lord's hands, Right? You know, we, 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 we're in the hands of the master. And if good comes out of us, let's recognize it for what it is. Because on our own, in fact, it, you know, God even says this in Acts. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Or in John, Jesus says that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You say, well, I can do all kinds of things. Well, nothing that matters. Yeah, figure that out, right? Humility is the only cure. It's the only cure. John the Baptist understood this. He, he, he said, he, speaking of Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. That's a good attitude for all of us. Paul the Apostle uh, said these things about his own life. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying he's the worst sinner? Now, Paul, come on. I'm a better sinner than you are. I'm a much better sinner. Right? You hear what I'm saying? Even Jesus' own ministry. You think if anybody had a right to brag, it'd be Jesus. But he says, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. It was all about getting rid of pride and being humble. Humility is the antidote. And I would encourage us today as we're going to have just a response moment here to, to we're going to sing a song, oh, come to the altar, we're going to turn the lights down a little bit. Altars are open. Uh, church, we should make use of these altars. This is a good place to come. You say, I don't know. I don't want people seeing me going. What is that? <laughs> but repentance. Repentance. It starts with repentance. And agreeing with God and saying, Lord, I, I do have pride in my life. 
I see it in the selfish. I, I didn't see it until I went through this process of like doing this camp thing at 18. I didn't know I was so full of pride until all of a sudden it all crumbled right before my eyes and I went, ah, big, huge lesson. That, you know what? It was a horrible moment in my life, but I'm so grateful I learned from it what it really takes to lead, what it really takes to collaborate with others, what it takes to encourage others, and uh, so many great lessons from that. So repentance from pride, repentance of excuse making. Blaming, if you're blaming some, listen, some of you had terrible upbringings, I get it. Just, I, all I can say is you've got to stop blaming your parents for why you're the way you are today. Everybody's got problems, okay? Some are so much worse. And believe me, my heart goes out. Some of the stories I hear, it just it makes what little hair I have curl, okay? It does. But, but the truth is, at some point, we just have to forgive and give God that stuff and let it go. And we cannot let it define us any longer. So quit making excuses that oh, that's the way I was raised. It's, it's my upbringing. It's... It's that person in my life that, that said they would love me and then they left me and they went with another person. You know, we can go on and on and on, can't we? We can just say all these things. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to tell you that I can't be any plainer than this. That's just excuse making. Because Jesus can take care of all that stuff. Repent today of any self-importance, independence, things that, of that nature. You know what I'm saying? And then we just say to God, look into any area of sin in my life, Lord, and, and reveal to me the root, which is pride. And invite that, the Holy Spirit to just come and do a thorough examination of us. Let's stand together. There's one more scripture we're going to put on the screen. And I'd like us to read it together almost as a prayer from Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Let's do it together. Go. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You catching this? This is that where we're inviting God to say, go into every corner and crevice of our hearts. And Lord, look through me. Uh, the King James Version which says, uh, see if there's any wicked way in me, offensive way, wicked way, whatever. But, but whatever's in there that doesn't belong, God, reveal it. Let me repent of it. Let's get this thing cleared up today. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.